0: Isaiah chapter six in the Old Testament. It's a great scripture. First line, it says In the year that King Uzziah died, I, the prophet Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood Seraphim. Each one had two six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, "Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their I'm sorry, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and return and be healed." Then I said, "Lord, how long?" And he answered, "Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate." The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Now I'm going to read, you have a picture here of the prophet Isaiah, right? And in the year King Uzziah, who was a very popular king, died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, just to give you a little background of this uh, Uzziah, I'm getting confused here with Uzziah and Isaiah, but Isaiah is the prophet, Uzziah is the king. I want to turn back to Second Chronicles 26, which is a historic, historical book in the scripture, after Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, First Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 26, just to give you an idea who King Uzziah was. It's headed the evaluation of Uzziah. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. So there's a little political situation going. Usually it's a, uh, an heir kind of thing. And uh, Uzziah is made king at a very young age. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in jerusalem his mother's name was jacolia of jerusalem 52 years so i just put that in my perspective being 42 it's as if if i when i was born this king was here and even up to this point the king is still there and he's going to be there many years as i grow older this was unusual It certainly was unusual in any monarchy, including the the European monarchies and even our presidents today. So this was a long rule that this king had. and said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gur, Baal, and against the Munites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah his f- frame, fame spread as far as the entrance of G- egypt for he strengthened himself exceedingly by the way there has been some archaeological discoveries uh, certainly you know there's these uh, again more discoveries coming about about king david's reign but there's been many artifacts pointing to uzziah as the king of judah at this time and uzziah built towers in jerusalem at the corner gate at the valley gate and at the corner buttress of the wall then he fortified them also, he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies, according to the number on their roll, as prepared by Geel, the scribe, and Mesa, the officer, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. So he's, he was good in many things. He was good in agriculture, he was good in war, and we're gonna see he was also an inventor. So this guy had a lot of talents, and you can see why the people really loved him, and you know they didn't mind following him as, as a king. And under their hand was an army of 307,500 that made war with the mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army shields spears helmets body armor bows and slings to cast stones And he made devices in jerusalem invented by skillful men To be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he became strong Now remember the name Uzziah in the hebrew means yahweh is strength or god is strength you see we're to allow God to be our strength. When we start to act as if we've got it from here, God, I don't need you. I'm pretty pretty impressed with myself. That's when we get into trouble. And this is what happened with Uzziah. Verse 16. But when he was strong in his heart, and his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. This was a priestly duty, not for a king. Jesus is the only one who filled prophet, priest, and king, and rightly so. He went into territory that was not his own. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord who were valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah. Very brave thing to do, because in those days, they would have rounded all 80 of them up and cut their heads off. That would have been done. And said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, Who are consecrated to burn incense get out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed you shall have no honor from the Lord God then Uzziah became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense and while he was angry with the priests leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and there on his forehead was leprous so they thrust him out of that place indeed He also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. No doubt, he realized his folly. And once he started getting leprosy, he realized, you know, the Lord could do a lot worse. Let me get out of here. So I think he was motivated more by what the Lord could have done than the priests. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. And he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house. Judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial which belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. Then Jotham his son reigned in his place. Pretty amazing how we can do great things our whole lives and just get really lifted up with pride, and we just fall from those heights. Um, We know that Satan... Uh, had a prominent role according to the scriptures that we've read before he turned well before he was became satan and turned as a fallen angel he had much authority and much um, um responsibilities but he said you know i want to rise to the heights of god and uh, god cast them down adam and eve the same thing sure you, you won't die when you eat of that apple you know that you're going to know the things that god knows and you'll be like him and that was tempting and you could even see it in our politics today, all right, especially uh, in our culture. Maybe people who are famous, um, they, they get lifted up and think who they are and God can push, thrust them down just as easily as he did to Uzziah. So according to history, Uzziah, when he became leprous, I think he lived another two years and then he died. So it was really an ignominious death for a great king. All right, so let's, get, let's put this back in perspective. So in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now there's speculation on this. Was this a dream? Was this this a vision? Was he picked up and taken to where the temple was? I think at the very least God was in the temple. And whether Isaiah saw a vision or he, you know took him out of bed and brought him over there while the Lord was in the temple. We can debate that, but the bottom line is he saw the Lord. And sometimes Uzziah has to be removed for us to see the Lord, right? And you may say, well, gee, that happened thousands of years ago, and, and I wouldn't have done that, and, you know, I might be different. But do you think so? We can look at our lives and see things that to us are popular, we can look at things in our lives that, like Uzziah, that give us comfort, that give us security, that make us feel good, right? And sometimes those things have to be removed before we can see the Lord because they're in our way. And brothers and sisters, some things get in our way in life and they've got to go. And if we don't do it willingly, sometimes God has to punish us. He has to discipline us because he loves us. I would say this don't let another man a woman a thing yourself another relationship steal god's glory because god's glory belongs to him and him alone and he will not compete he will never be second place he says that in his word so king uzziah died i look at our society we have sort of in america a cult celebrity worship we do some politicians we look at and we think they're gonna solve all of our problems some celebrities oh i love that actor and you know sometimes we'll take the bible and put it aside to watch tv to go see a movie to read an auto a biography about a celebrity it's serious business in the united states we have a lot of uzayah's that we've propped up you know and you can even look at let me just say this without crushing the person just something recent tiger woods he looked like the boy next door sweet face well-dressed you know he had the look he was fit he was a golf pro everybody wanted his endorsement because he was the, the traditional boy next door the money the fame didn't seem to affect him oh and then we find out about the women oh the multiple women and we're still finding out more about them he looks like a disheveled mess these days. And what's really sad is they can't come forward to the public and say, I am so sorry. They have to get a, um, a manager or a, a public relations person. They have to have a team of folks to show them how to portray an image to the public so the public welcomes them back and they don't lose all their endorsements. What a shame. How many people were crushed I mean, I felt bad for the guy. I mean, it just, he's got to deal with his sin. But, you know, he just had what American success story thinks of it all. He had it all. Came from an African American and Vietnamese family. He worked his way up. He, he, he practiced and practiced. And he's an American success story. Now look at him. What's going to happen to him now? Very sad. Pray for him and his family. The damage is done. Let me get a little bit more personal. Believers, celebrities. Now, there's a lot of ministries that are very celebrity-oriented. Evangelical circles have figured out what works in Hollywood, and they've employed a lot of that, right? A lot of these guys are more like superstars than their pastors. Now, also, I've seen believers that if a pastor falls into sin, especially adultery, that's the big one. You know, the other ones we can... We can kind of do something and whitewash it false preaching and things like that but god forbid the adultery one comes up he's gone it happened here happened here five six years ago and people left the church they panicked some said i can never pray again i can't read the bible again i can't go to church again you know what i don't feel sorry for somebody like that and you know what that might be a little harsh but if you've been a believer now i'm not talking about a new believer you've been a believer 10 15 20 30 years and that's your attitude where's your focus your focus is on man and get used to it because every time you read the paper we're finding about about another pastor that's fallen to sin all right so i have nothing to share with you by the way i'm (laughs) i'm not leading into anything i'd be running from my wife you know but it's true We as Christian believers, you know what's funny? I hear this more and more. It's it's almost become a cliche because it's been repeated so much. You talk to believers from the persecuted church in China or North Korea or regions of Africa, and they say, we're praying for you Americans. What? My home is heated. I got a nice car. I turn the key. It starts up. I go to the market, I can buy anything I want. I don't have to milk a cow or bake bread or any of that stuff. Just pick it off the shelf. And you're, you're suffering persecution. What do you mean? You're praying for me? Yes. Because the addiction of a comfortable life is worse than heroin, I believe. I think it's easier to, it may be easier to kick drugs than it is to kick the addictions of our lifestyles. You know? And a, a lot of that stuff is in the church. And a lot of that stuff is in the pastorate. So, thank God those missionaries are praying for us because we need it. Americans are being lulled into a false sense of security. What are we going to do if the power grid goes down? We don't have power for a month. God forbid. We rely on the government. Our bank accounts, the gold that we've stored up, or the 30-day supply of water in case something happens. We don't rely on God. You know? We rely on everything else. We want our creature comforts. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be humbled. We don't want somebody to tell us that we uh, are doing something wrong. Because we're Americans. And we've earned the right by, by golly. This is America. And I love this country. Great opportunities. But what do we do with our opportunities? So when King Uzziah died, the distraction was over. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and no doubt the people had to had to look somewhere else because they couldn't trust in uzziah anymore two above it stood seraphim now the word seraphim in hebrew seraph means to burn so im in hebrew denotes plurality they were an order a hierarchy of angels that had six wings and uh they were pretty hot you know they were They were going to either be for God's judgment, and we'll see how they burn Isaiah's lips. So you wouldn't want to mess with these seraphim. So it says, above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, back and forth, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I like this because especially, listen, God is up there and we're down here. And even as believers, we pray and we read the word, and sometimes we can get into a little bit of a routine. But he's up there and we're down here. Yes, we know he's among us. We're two or three gathered in his name. I get all that. But sometimes we rely more on the tangible because we're sentient beings. We have hearing, we have smell, we have sight, we have touch, right, taste. And that's how we navigate this world with, those senses. But we need to have a reverence for God. And these angels, they flew with, with two of the wings they only need to fly with. This must have been some sight to see. And with two of these, those mighty wings, they covered their eyes, and with two, they covered their feet. And there's an indication there. Maybe they were given a signal to Isaiah. You know, you can't even look upon God's glory. You can't look upon his glory. That's how glorious he is. He did it with um, Moses, and he did it with uh, Elijah. He, he couldn't show them his full glory. They would have been turned to toast. He had to show them the afterglow or, or a part of it, but they couldn't see the whole thing. So they covered their feet too. This is hallowed ground. Wherever the Lord goes, it's hallowed ground, and we need to treat it as such. And they cry to another. This is what they do holy 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 most likely referring to the father the son and the holy spirit the whole earth is full of his glory amen even in its fallen state god looks at the creation it's winding down romans 8 tells us that the apostle paul tells us that the outward man is perishing but the inward man is being renewed day by day so the observable creation is starting to wind down 8.8 on the richter scale in chile seven point whatever twice in haiti right those fault lines run all across the globe somebody said a geologist he said that the earth is starting to look like when you look at the fault lines a hard-boiled egg that was just dropped too many times and you see all those cracks in the egg it just splintered that's what the earth is starting to look like second law of thermodynamics is starting to run out right and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out now it didn't say by the voice of god it said by the voice of the, one of the seraphim or the seraphim so even god's creation they're so magnificent that they, they have these impressive voices that they can just shake anything in the material world now again my my impression of this is either isaiah was actually there or he was able to somehow see you know god could do anything the Lord in the temple, and this, I think the temple was actually shaken. I think it's literal. Because, and this is an incredible thing. Why is it written here? Because, you know, when we talk about the temple being built, it was glorious. It had rock and marble and cedar, and uh, Lebanon uh, sent big trees there. And they, if you ever watch these old history channels and how they put the old construction together, a lot of these buildings even survived world wars and bombings. Uh, You you can still see the remains of some of these historical sites. But the temple was a solid, solid building. And just by the voice of the seraphim, it was able to go, just start to shake. We should live in fear of our God. He is a loving God, but he's also a consuming fire. And let's not forget that. Let us not lose the reverence for God Almighty. We can be the way we are, and we could laugh, and we could be free, and we could have peace because God has given us an option. Go through life with your sins and go your own way and then face me in judgment. I'm not choosing that. Or go through me through Jesus Christ, my son, because he died for your sins. Those sins are so offensive to me. You can't spend in eternity with me. But my son nailed your sins on that cross, and that's the only way that you're getting to me. Make no mistake about that. And the house was filled with smoke i remember reading in the scripture when the temple was dedicated that the lord's presence was in there and it was as if a smoke had had filled. like his, his some. again i don't know how he does it he's god there's some things i can't explain in here but it was he was so impressive in his presence that the priests had to run out of the temple because of god's presence was so overwhelming they just couldn't stand there even and they were his priests that just goes to show you how amazing the god is that we serve and when we go to prayer, we should keep that in mind. He can do anything, and he hears our prayers. Then Isaiah says this. Very good, Isaiah. <laughs> Woe is me, for I am undone, or I'm going to be a crispy critter. This is not going to go well for me. See, because when Isaiah saw this, he realized who he was. He realized that he was a sinner, and we think Isaiah is a great guy. We love his work. And God picked him to be a prophet, but even he knew. You see, if we're smart enough to be able to stand in the presence of god we see ourselves and boy he is some glaring mirror that shows us all the ugliness of ourselves in the sin there are so many people that are going through life today that make fun of god that write books to demean him that um, just totally blaspheme him and they are just walking along they're just like on a precipice of judgment they're like walking on a tightrope and the and the The flames are just all the way spread out underneath them. And eventually, if they don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to be burned for eternity. And it's going to be an awful judgment. And they'll be probably sorry for the things that they said. So Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We were just talking about Uzziah, weren't we? The popular king. Isaiah has it straight now. I have seen the king. And I'm not talking about Uzziah. I'm talking about the Lord. So when we see God, when we read his word, that's why Romans ten seventeen says it's regenerative. Because as we read his word, we realize that we don't measure up to that standard. We can't. We're sinners. We're hopeless. But we need Jesus. Without Jesus, forget about it. You don't have a chance. It's amazing how, you know, again, the media and Hollywood will prop up a certain person and say this is the, a great person, a celebrity, a philanthropist, a do-gooder. And huh, and they almost go as far as to say God has to accept that person because we accept them and we put, that is our candidate. Mm-mm, it doesn't work like that. We don't tell God what to do. And one of the seraphim flew to me, taking in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged or atoned for. And this is atonement. Isaiah repents for anything he's done. I'm a man of unclean lips. Immediately he realized the sinner that he is. And God responds by allowing his sins to be atoned for. Verse 8, And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? I love this in the Hebrew, that oftentimes God speaks of himself in plurality. We see a hint. Actually, we see, sometimes it's just outright in the scripture. uh, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people today... If this was you, and God said, Who will go for me? Who wouldn't raise their hand? Who wouldn't raise their hand? Whom, sh- whom shall I send? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. All right, here's your job description. <laughs> Gets good here. Keep, tell them, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed there's your job description not a lot of fruit in this ministry sometimes these prophets and these men and women of god were sent out and um there wasn't a lot of fruit that was going to come of it but they were obedient why isaiah 55 i'm just going to read two scriptures further on in isaiah's uh work here is Isaiah 55 10 and 11 he says for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there But water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth It shall not return to me void or empty But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it God's word is going to go forth Some are going to get saved and some aren't. Some are going to mortgage eternity for this paltry existence. But I'm having a lot of fun. By how many years? 10, 20, 30, 40, 80? What? The average lifespan of American uh, female and male is is between 73 and 75, depending on, um, you know, gender and, and other factors. And even if we lived a full life, is it really worth mortgaging eternity? Is it really worth it? I don't think so so many are gonna hear and when they stand before God in the judgment and say well I never heard that God's just gonna replay the video and say here you go so some of it is going to be for rejoicing right people getting saved that is awesome the implanted word in our hearts like James talks about and some of it is going to be for judgment you have heard and, and Sadly, some have heard 10, 20, or more times, and they've scoffed at it. Then I said, Lord, how long? (laughs) Yeah, I'll go. What's the job description? Ooh, how long do I have to do this for? (laughs) But he was obedient. And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land it's pretty, pretty sad thing. And we see this fulfillment. So this is the whole reign of Uzziah and Isaiah. And the overlap is roughly uh, uh, from the end of the eighth century BC to the center of the eighth century BC. So what happens in seven or in uh, 722 BC, the Assyrians come and invade the Northern kingdom. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians come and invade the Southern kingdom. And This is what happens. The men, the fighting men are killed because the nations have turned away from the Lord and they're being punished now. He's not going to continue to let them prosper in their idolatry. Uh, The fighting men are taken away. Fathers and husbands are removed from their homes. Uh, Israel is vanquished. Uh, The food starts to dry up. The sources, they're living under oppression. And we see a, a constant fulfillment of this. And ultimately in 70 AD, when the Romans came under Titus Vespasian, and completely destroyed the temple; its grounds did not leave one stone upon another. Now, I don't know if you can, if this sinks into you, but I'm a big history buff. I really, World War II fascinates me. 60 million people died in World War II. That's a lot of dead people. And uh, if you ever read of the of the circumstances and the those who survived and scrounging for food, eating uh, morsels, eating garbage, um, some of the uh, those of, who were conquered would eat of the, of the garbage from the, the food that the soldiers threw away. Nothing was wasted. We see that today in some other countries. And those, that generation really suffered, and that was harsh. So it's hard for us to really understand the suffering of really what, oh, God's a mean God. No, he's not. God was very clear. He's clear with us. He was clear with the children of Israel. If you follow me, We'll have sweet fellowship. I will be a father to you. I will dwell among you. Um, You know, He spoke to them of the new covenant where he would dwell inside of them, indicative of the Holy Spirit. These are all the things that you're welcome to do. But if you fall away, if you leave me, if you follow false gods, and they did this. They did this. It was so bad and so corrupt that even in God's temple, there were different closets and, and secret places and tunnels that they put these pornographical little gods in. They dug these things up right they put him in there and they worship to satan and they'd have altars within god's temple imagine how furious that made him and imagine how hurt he was and he told them he had to be a, a god of his promises but that's how ugly sin is when you read about all the horrible things that happen in the scripture it's all a result of sin in some form of another that's why we need jesus christ because now i can stand before jesus right now and smile, and be happy, and joyful, because I'm not worried about what he's going to do to me, because he promised me that every sin that I've committed, if I've been faithful, if, I'm sorry, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and I live in that. John 15, Jesus says, to remain in me, abide in me, means to literally to remain, to stay with him, And that's the awesome thing about salvation. But he says this, and there's always good news. The last verse, he says, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming. Yet as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains while it is cut down, so the holy seed shall, shall be its stump. And you've seen this. If you've cut down a tree on your property, if you didn't take a grinder and eat up the stump and the roots, right? What happens is over time, little shoots come up from that stump and the tree will grow again. So although to the natural man looking around at, at the, the nation of Israel it looked pretty bleak, but God said, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant that will be saved. There's always a remnant that will be, sa- um, that will, that will, uh, be unharmed. There's always a remnant that I will use as my prophets and my teachers, and, and it's, it can start all over again. So the question is, do we want to be... And, and listen, there's a lot of pressure in our society, especially you teens, when you go out or you those of you who are, you know, younger than me, <laughs> when you go out into the world and even some of your friends, even some of your Christian friends, you know, a lot of us have some friends that are Christians that are pretty fleshy, and they can affect us in the wrong direction, right? The, the popular idea is to follow what the world is doing, right? Follow what the, the Christians, you know, the fleshy Christians are doing. There's a lot of uh, teachers and, and men and ministries that have just gone completely apostate, and there are some that you know they love that person so much because they see him on tv that they don't want to hear it right do we want to be the remnant or do we want to be that tree that was cut down and used to be burned that's the question i don't even have an ending <laughs> i don't have notes so <laughs> that's good right let's pray well the bottom line is this that we should take this to heart If you are here and you've never heard of Jesus or you've never really, or you've heard of Jesus, but you've never read God's word, um, this is something serious to look at. Jesus says that there are two roads when we die, right? There's a very narrow road and few find it and few stay on that road, but that leads to everlasting life. That's the smaller percentage, but then there's a wide road. Oh, that everyone's partying on and high-fiving and they're self-deceived they're on that road and jesus said it leads to destruction and for those of us who want to take the narrow road we will be pressured we will be tempted we will be coaxed we will be ridiculed by those that are on the wide road what a what a stuffed shirt you know come along with us but i hope that after today number one you see the glory of god you see the reverence of god and this is a word it's on a page no matter how I try to make it sound interesting, they're black and white words. Imagine what Isaiah saw. Imagine what we'll see. And if we stay on that narrow road, I guarantee you it'll all be worth it in the end because I trust God. And let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we close with your word and we love your word, Lord. This is-